Hello, everyone. We're happy to be back on Contingent Workforce Radio, brought to you by Beeline, the world's first extended workforce platform that enables total talent visibility and compliance for your entire workforce. My name is Erica Novak, VP of Executive Management here at Beeline, and I'm happy to introduce Michael Beckwith, Excel Energy's Category Manager around Contingent Workforce. Michael, I'm thrilled to speak with you. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. And would you introduce yourself to listeners? Yeah, thanks so much, Erica, for having me. Looking forward to the conversation today. I Currently, I'm a category manager for staff augmentation, travel and expense at Excel Energy since July of last year. So it's still new enough to have a lot of opportunities and vision for the future of what our program looks like and hoping today to share a little bit of feedback that I've had and experience from both the buyer side with roles like Excel Energy and Thomson Reuters, but also starting off my career as a recruiter account manager at a large staffing firm, feel like I have some good perspective to lend to both sides of the equation. And yeah, looking forward to to having the conversation today, Erica. Thanks so much for having me. No, and I love it. I'm a big believer that folks who've had different roles, they understand at a deeper level, right? So I'm excited for you to bring, again, kind of both your experience from the procurement side, but also from the staffing side into us. And I think that's why today's theme really lands because we've spoken with a few other thought leaders really about the need to change how supplier relationships are viewed, evaluated, and measured. Relationship health, I'm hoping everyone can hear this, is bigger than time to fill. That is a metric, not actually a health. And I love the comment you made in one of our prep sessions is get outside the VMS scorecard. So today I want to focus and dig into really what you mean and how you're applying that growth mindset to supplier relationships. So you ready? Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. All right. As any good journalist does, let's define our terms, knowing that in who's listening here, they usually come from a myriad of backgrounds, someone who's completely new to CW through people who have from two years to 20 years experience, the supplier and whatnot. But let's define the terms first. So when you think about from a procurement professional, how were you looking at relationship help? And historically, what was the measurement of relationship help from a procurement point of view? Yeah, great place to start. I think a couple of different places that staff augmentation, contingent labor typically will exist in the organization. One of them being HR or talent acquisition, depending on the company. In many cases, such as Excel Energy, staff augmentation rolls up into the supply chain organization. And so I think historically we've taken the metrics of those parts of the organization and tried to apply those to staff augmentation naturally. So we're thinking about how quickly and efficiently is our program able to retain, well, attract and retain talent. And so a lot of the metrics that we've had historically are around that specific end goal, whether it's the time that it takes from the original job being distributed to a supplier to the time that individual starts, cycle time measurements or efficiency metrics around how many interviews or submittals does it take to fill a position, attrition metrics around risk, you know, how long can we keep candidates on assignment versus the amount of time that we would like to keep them engaged on the assignment. And those are a few examples. I'm sure that we've all seen dozens of them across a number of different dimensions, whether it's quality, efficiency, cost, or risk. A lot of those types of metrics usually will fall into different buckets like that and help us start to understand which suppliers are quote unquote adding value to the program. So I think that's a good place to to move from at least into some of the further conversation about where do I think those measurements should change or how should we start to use those to get to an evolved 
version of measuring relationship health. Okay. No, and that's helpful because I think most people would say that feels right. I understand, right? A submittal to interview, interview to offer, fill rates, percentage, how many times do you respond? I think we people have been trained in this industry, like that just shows the again the, the efficiency of the supplier. And are they participating in the rules as you know, as dictated or so? So when you think about this, I mean, I think most people would say, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I've been taught. When you think about kind of applying or redefining the shift in thinking, you spoke a lot about like this growth mindset. How are you now defining or trying to define a more modern way that you want your colleagues and peers to now define this relationship? Yeah, that that's exactly, I, I think what I'm becoming increasingly passionate about is changing away from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset when it comes to quantifying and qualifying relationship health. With the metrics that I just mentioned, a lot of times it is a very fixed mindset of, you know, we have a contract, we've agreed upon these terms, you will execute according to these terms as a supplier, otherwise you will have failed to meet these KPI and you will be penalized accordingly. And while I think that <laughs> that's an perhaps an, an okay way to look at it from a really big picture, 10,000 foot view. If you have many, many suppliers, it gives you a way to start at least identifying what is the quality of our relationships with these suppliers. Are they able to add value? It really isn't getting to a stronger, deeper relationship. And those types of metrics that we've used aren't actually measuring the health of the relationship as much as they are measuring tactically how well a supplier is able to deliver. And that's a part of the conversation, certainly. But with growth mindset, it's focused really heavily on how we look at failure as individuals, as an organization. And that's really where I'd like to see some evolution and growth and, and start to say that a failure to meet a specific metric doesn't mean that the relationship isn't healthy. And start to look at other components that I think come from originally sales and recruiting days, how we were looking at the health of relationships. And so we'll dive a little bit more into that later on in the, in the podcast, but ultimately it's just, how can we start to look at failure as an opportunity to learn and start to look at some of these metrics as the starting point for, or at least in my mind, I look at them as the, the starting point for questions. Like what are the types of questions that a certain metric will get us to. And so, you know, a great example of that question that, you know, typically you look at your cycle times and there's so many different ways. Everyone knows that the largest contributing factor to cycle times is usually the folks who are hiring workers. And I don't mean to, by any means, throw our hiring leaders under the bus. I don't, but they are the limiting reactant in the equation, if you will. And so looking at creative ways to start reducing that friction. And instead of putting everything on the supplier, as far as meeting these metrics and adhering to these metrics and defining that as a success in the program, it's starting to define success a little bit differently and say, no, it's okay to iterate through different periods of failure and to find other types of measurements for the growth and the health of the relationship. Well, it's interesting you say that because I remember coming out of consulting and kind of having not a chip on my shoulder, but an idea to say, I want to make sure I can prove these guys are or not doing their job, right? We've all worked with suppliers who 
promise the world. And then when they actually deliver, it's not. And so I remember putting together one of my first, like, all right, here's all the KPIs I want you to track. And it was exhausting. It was probably a 40 data attributes I wanted to track for me on a quarterly measure, because I thought that was going to show here's exactly the operational efficiencies or expectations that I had. Like you are now going to run like an oil machine. And what I learned from that is something that you're saying, I think that I recognize is as I matured in my career, I recognize it's actually better to have, it's not a specific number, but let's say three things I'm looking at, because then when it's a point of failure, I'm really able to lean in to say, I wonder why that is. I'm able to say, okay, I was looking at this. That didn't make that. Is it something that I'm doing? My managers are doing my programs doing, or really the supplier. And then when I was able to show why these were so important to me. Usually they increased and they got better on it. And then we moved on to three more and it really became really clear to the supplier what was important. And that I was there to help them, not just grade them. You get an F. And so therefore you move down to tier two, or you get this, you don't get any more suppliers. It really became, let me help oil the machine. And so I love how you're talking about like the point of failure needs to be redefined. It's usually yeah. not like an unrecoverable failure. You didn't bring the site down. Again, I used to work for a tech company. You didn't bring the site down. You didn't let China have your data. Like there's real points of failure. And then there's just no, like, how do we do this better? So let me ask you on that. One of the things when we were talking about this that I loved, because I think sometimes on the supplier side, right, how they're actually figuring out what is success. Can you share a little bit about from your staffing background, if you think of recruiters and account managers, what are the data points that they're using to be successful? Yeah, that is a great place to start too when it comes to starting to understand what as a program, as an enterprise buyer, we should be measuring. I think really important for us to understand the individuals at the end of the day who are recruiting for staff augmentation programs, those talented resources that you're hoping are going to fulfill the terms of their contracts and what drives the recruiters and what drives the account managers. I wish that it was that they were really, really passionate. Well, I don't even know if I wish this, I would be surprised if it were that they were really passionate about recruiting as an industry and staffing as an industry. And they had a goal when they were a child to, to grow up and become a recruiter doesn't seem to be one of those types of roles. And I find that generally most recruiters that are worth their weight and same thing with account managers, they're motivated by money. They're motivated by the same things that we are for working. We work in a career to earn enough money to afford us the lifestyle that we want to provide for ourselves, our family, those that are important to us. And the same thing really applies with recruiters and account managers and understanding how do they get incentivized from a placement perspective, you know, number of placements per month, what are their internal requirements that they need to meet in order to be successful? And by the terms of the supplier, start to figure out, well, where does that intersect with what our goals are as a program? And so uh, the example that I used when we were originally discussing it was the concept of a, of a contest, which doesn't really exist in corporate America too much. I know they have some like president's circle president's club types of, you know, trips every year that certain parts of the organization will take in the sales side, but generally within sales and recruiting, they have some goals that they set that are likely pretty aggressive, audacious goals for a recruiter account manager to generate X number of dollars in revenue or profit. And it equates to a contest or a trip. And so understanding what is my role 
as an enterprise buyer, as Excel Energy, as a client of theirs, what's my role in helping them achieve their goals and enabling them individually and then as an organization to be successful at achieving those goals? So that's what I'm hoping to tie a lot of the relationship around is understanding each other's goals and starting to measure and track progress towards those goals, especially when they're mutually beneficial. All right, let's unpack that because I think this is a pretty big failing on the part of the CW industry, right? I think what you said is incredibly important when it comes down to recruiters like us, repeat with me guys, like us, want to be rewarded for goodness with money. You cannot use the same language that you use to talk about suppliers to yourself when you were talking about your bonus and what's happening in the year. Everyone's motivated by their money. And let's remind everybody, you want them to make money so they stay in business. I think sometimes the mindset we have is reduce costs, slam down, the margin's so crazy. They're so evil and sneaky to want money and forget that, no, 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 this is just a general human dynamic of, I want to be rewarded for this. It motivates me. Let's go through. And so, you know, people talk about, you know, what's tracked, right, is valued and it is measured and is performed and same thing here. And so when you think about what's motivating what you said, I mean, I think you shared about like different contests and different winnings that recruiters can get by working with teams, right? Teams, managers, orgs, businesses, CW programs, MSPs, they're going to lean into the ones that they're successful at. Yeah. They're leaning into where they can actually make money, do a good job. And usually they're excited for that actual candidate. Rarely do I hear a recruiter ever say, like, I placed it, but I really hope the guy doesn't have a good time. Like they're excited to get people to work, right? There's a, there's not right. just funny thing. There is a, like, a, hey, I'm excited. Eric is now going to go work for X, Y, and Z. But it's been interesting to like to have that metric that is so normal from a CW program team that can be used to like be a bad thing for the supplier. And so I I want you to kind of lean a little bit harder on that. Like when you think about from a recruiter point of view, what are the ways that they could be measuring the relationship and the health to the program that they're supporting or organization they're supporting to know whether or not they are going to make money or not? Yeah. And so with the supplier side of the equation, I'm glad you brought up the MSP as well, which adds a bit of complexity to the relationship because we can touch on that a little bit here, perhaps briefly later, but the relationship with your supplier a lot of times is in larger programs is driven heavily by the MSP. So my approach is perhaps a little bit different than other folks in my role because we have an MSP in place, good relationship with them, but ultimately the more time and energy that I invest into the relationship with suppliers, my belief is that will translate to longer term, better success as a program for facilitating the relationship between the MSP and our suppliers and those recruiters. And when the recruiters are given the opportunity, a life in the day of a recruiter is, you know, they have anywhere from 15 to 25 different jobs, requisitions that they're working on over a given month. If they're sort of at a decent level of productivity, you have a lot of competition as a buyer for that recruiter's time. And if we aren't as buyers actively doing things to elevate the value or opportunity from the perception of a recruiter, we will likely get less of their attention and effort and thus start to have impact to all of those metrics that we measure. So it's 
I think just starting a little bit earlier in the funnel, instead of focusing on the outputs, starting to focus a little bit more on the inputs. Yes, this is for another podcast, but we can talk about the no communication rule as possibly an indicator of them not thinking you're a great program. But that is for another time and another soapbox. All right, so let's go back to this the idea of applying a growth mindset. I'm hesitant to even use the word measuring, but let's say when you look at another attribute, another way that we are looking at how a supplier relationship with us is healthy. So you think about this in kind of two different ways. So can you share the different types of relationships that you're speaking about? Because it's not just the external suppliers that you're applying this to, right? It's other people internally. So what are the groups that you are applying this relationship health check against? Yeah, that is, I think my favorite part about relationships is that you have different types of relationships that require different inputs, but at the end, they also should ideally contribute towards what your goals are, what your strategies are for the program that you're managing. And so we have the suppliers, like you mentioned, which is recruiters and account management and their leadership, of course. You have an MSP partner comprised of usually program directors, managers, and administrators. And that's a complex group of relationships to manage. They, in many cases, are the face of your program to the organization and internally to stakeholder relationships, which ultimately are driving a lot of these conversations in the first place. And you have relationships with your direct management. And the more that you start to formalize how you're tracking the health of these relationships across these different entities, these different groups of people, you find that the same things are generally in common with this approach. And I don't think it's overly novel to say, oh, well, what are some of the goals that we have that are shared and how can we start to track and discuss those types of components versus some of these metrics that while they are helpful and a part of, you know, supporting data for those conversations, they certainly in and of themselves can't be the focus. So the stakeholders that a contingent labor program manager interacts with, fortunately, are cross-functional across the entire organization. We get to interact with legal and marketing technology infrastructure groups and, you know, legal, I already mentioned legal, <laughs> but yeah, just all the business areas of themselves, you know, for Excel Energy as an example have a number of different specific operational groups that we're working with, whether it's transmission, distribution, we have a team specifically devoted to natural gas, electric vehicles and clean energy transition, for example. So just using some of these examples of the very diverse group of stakeholders that you have, but ultimately I think using the same, you said, <laughs> let's avoid using measurements, but the same qualifications for a good relationship. Because at the end of the day, whether you're looking at these internal relationships with your organization or external relationships with an MSP or supplier recruiter, they have a lot of intersections. So it's, it's really helpful to, I think, start to track these relationships in a meaningful way and then start to be able to quantify what does that relationship health look like. No, and it was interesting when we were talking about this, you were talking about needing to find out how to present the data to help them make them decisions it's around the stakeholders. And I loved it because you said, you know, as an owner, as a procurement category leader, it's the same tactics you used to use as sales leader and the same relationship development skills that you use as a bartender. And that is incredibly true and spot on, right? There's yeah. sides of the coin. You have to be likable, influenceable, enjoyable to work with, right? Everyone gets one chance. And then you have to be smart enough, thoughtful enough, 
and be clearly defined what's in it for them, for them to want to meet with you again. And so it is both sides of the coin, because I think where people fail, sometimes it's they get the one meeting, but it stays a one meeting because they either didn't prepare, know how to present or track really what was important and why. Again, you're Different stakeholders that you mentioned are incredibly different, even if legal is twice. Let's say employment attorneys, right? That's and security attorneys, right? Patent attorneys. That's right. That's right. It really does depend on both of that skill set. It can't just be one side. Otherwise, you will end up being a one meeting program owner. And those are the ones that typically stay in the box or pushed around by another team or that the suppliers lose interest in. So I think that's really good. So we've hit your own team. Talk about your manager a little bit. The stakeholder groups. We've already touched a little bit on the suppliers, but what about the MSPs? So when you think about this growth mindset, are they, do they fall into the staffing supplier group or are they a group of their own? Yeah. I mean, ultimately they are a vendor of services and at the same time, they're an elevated vendor of services in that they are in many cases on site, not always, but in, in many cases, they have an increased level of access internally to information and the ability to positively impact or negatively impact the perception of your program. So to the extent that you're able to encourage that same growth mindset approach to how historically the program has been managed or how predecessors have managed the position, and it's not about assigning blame or who's responsible for our current state as much as it is, this is where we're at and what is our vision for the future and how can we accomplish it together, especially in the context of, again, growth mindset, where looking at an MSP as sometimes like the enforcer or a governance or controlling type of function within a program to limit the amount of communication that managers get from suppliers or to ensure that suppliers are adhering to rate compliance and all of these metrics that we've talked about that are in the contracts. And I think there's great value in that to the extent that it doesn't start to adversely impact your delivery. And depending on the maturity of the organization, we've been fortunate, I think, to have a long relationship with our MSP in many regards, because it gives us a lot of data to look at, gives us a lot of understanding of organizationally what's happened but the MSP is of the relationships I'm trying to encourage or, or foster growth in something that I'm almost equally focused on that with regards to how much exposure they have to our stakeholders and suppliers, because they're a way of cascading communication, ideas, thoughts, vision to other folks. So I really try to spend a lot of time with them. And that's kind of getting into a little bit of how do you start to qualify and quantify a relationship and think the reasons why we do this are fairly self-evident. We want to have stronger relationships with the people that we work with. So we're able to accomplish our work with less stress. I don't think I mentioned it earlier in, in our podcast prep, but ultimately I think about my motivation for why are you doing this? Why are you trying to build charts and data and enter in all this data that it is relatively tedious to do on the front end when and when you're just getting started, it becomes a little bit more rope, but I'm trying to improve the quality of the relationships with the individuals that I work with. So they and myself feel like there's the least amount of friction to accomplish what, what we're trying to do. So I think that's a good piece to potentially transition into how I've been doing this. What do you think, Erica? Yeah, you're exactly right. The one thing I wanted to double click on that is where I see the best programs is something that you just almost said, right? The idea of 
the MSP doesn't replace the relationship that your company should be having with these suppliers. Typically, I see a lot of, and usually it's when someone hasn't been in the industry before, and it really, they say, great, the MSP, I'm outsourcing everything to them. And then they just meet with them every quarter. Right. And just kind of yell at them. And they're like, all right, either I'm not paying attention or you're doing a terrible job because someone rang me up, but they're not actually leaning in. Right. And usually two things happen. The good suppliers leave and the MSP feels unsupported and doesn't know how to resolve because they're not brought into the conversation. Where I see actually really good mature programs is where, of course, MSP is there to help with a ton of the transactional work. But you're augmenting what they're sharing on the data, and you then continue to lean into the relationships with the suppliers. Now, again, I'm not advocating. If you have 100 suppliers, that's really tough to do. Let's talk about why you have 100 suppliers at another time. But the idea of these suppliers want to work and understand Excel Energy. So if you are leaning in, they're most likely to as well. And that you're able to use the data and the knowledge the MSP has, but it becomes your relationships as well. I think that's really important on that because that changes a lot. When I think about, again, let's go into... What are the new metrics? What is the new criteria? Like, how are you doing this? Because then you're actually able to understand what is going on to apply this. So let's hit the, we've done the old. Here's what people have done. Here's what the scorecards are doing. Here's what MSPs are trying to in some companies. When you think about moving forward on measurement and looking at org health or relationship health, what are you looking for? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm so passionate about using data to drive decisions that, of course, I would try to do something like quantifying relationship health and in a way that I think is not overly novel, but is simplified and easier to focus on and easier to take a picture of at any given point of snapshot and understand if there is additional work required or if the amount of energy that you're putting, the inputs that you're putting into are getting the correct outputs. So what I originally used to drive my strategy for measuring health and quantifying the relationship health was a maturity assessment model from an industry leading organization for contingent labor programs very broadly, multidimensional, multi-level. It allows you to take a look at various components of your program, whether it be data itself, as an asset or the centralization of resources, the ability to manage through adverse events with business continuity planning and manage risk appropriately and how well your program's being utilized across the organization. All of these different types of metrics and much more, I would say, qualified type of metrics than quantifiable in many cases. I started to think about, well, how can I do something similar with overall with relationship health. And it brought me back to recruiting and sales where the metrics that we had and and the goals that we had were generally around how many meetings you have every week as an account manager or as a recruiter, how many meetings you have every week with candidates and understanding like as simple as it is, the number of meetings that we have with the relationship obviously directly impact the quality of that relationship. And so Looking at historical data in the program was the first step to understand who are the players, who are the stakeholders. Just to get really granular with it, it's identification of all of your stakeholders internally, your suppliers externally, your MSP, of course, your management function, and your direct reporting structure. So those kind of four areas primarily. And then starting to understand by volume, how much have those stakeholders interacted with your role historically? And using that, you know, you can start to assess what is the target subset of all of the relationships that I have to maintain 
that I should start with because you have to have a starting point. And so the starting point, it, it makes sense if you have 10 managers who are representative of a large percentage of the program's usage, that you're going to spend a large percentage of your time meeting with those stakeholders. On the supplier side, if you have five to 10 suppliers who are representative of the lion's share of the delivery of talent to your organization, you should be spending a proportionate amount of time meeting with those suppliers. So using the data as a starting point to identify who should I be meeting with, and then what proportion of my time should I be spending meeting with the underperforming or the stakeholders that don't use the program as much, I wouldn't consider those underperforming, but on the supplier side, right? If they're not filling as many positions, they're typically viewed as underperforming, but still important to meet with those individuals, those suppliers as well to understand, have we afforded them an opportunity or are we enabling them to be successful in our program? So the first part of the how is use data to develop a list of those key relationships and then come up with a target for how much you should be meeting with those individuals in a quarterly basis or an annual basis. Most of the time, I think, if you're only meeting once a year with any individual, you will never have a strong relationship with them, especially in this world. Too much stuff happens in a year to say it's got a strong relationship. So your highest volume stakeholders, your highest um, volume suppliers, your MSP that you're interacting with every day, like you know that you need to be meeting with these folks regularly every quarter. So coming up with the cadence of meetings that makes sense according to how much that you've been working with those uh, you know, suppliers and stakeholders is really helpful, good place to start. And then once you've identified that list of stakeholders and you start meeting with those individuals, it's about capturing new data to help you really map out what you want your strategy to look like. And so that's where earlier in the call you said, I look at it from partially like the sales and recruiting perspective. I remember my sales training days where it was, how do you identify pain and really starting to ask questions and listen to stakeholders, ask questions and listen to suppliers instead of presenting information to them or presenting data that may or may not be relevant. It's taking a step back and listening to what is their feedback about their number one, their disposition. Like, do they enjoy working with your program? as an internal stakeholder, as an external supplier, as a recruiter, do they feel confident that they're going to be able to place somebody because they have enough information? As an MSP, you know, are you enabling the MSP to implement the strategies that they're suggesting to stay relevant and modern with the program? And that I think is the foundation for the rest of, of the measurements that I would suggest. Once you've had sort of these initial meetings, Hopefully you're walking away from those with a couple of key, key details that help you start to formulate those other measurements of, of relationship health. What are their goals individually, professionally? I mean, if you really want to score bonus points, understand what their individual goals are as, as people outside of work, because they're usually more motivated for those goals than they are for professional goals. But um, if you can minimally map out a couple of their goals, document it so you have a reference point. So you start to advance the maturity of that relationship by listening, capturing what their pain points are, and then starting to take action against them once you have enough data. So if you have 50 meetings lined up with stakeholders and of those 50 meetings, 
30 of those stakeholders have said, hey, I don't get enough candidates when I put a position in our VMS. Well, we're hearing a consistent message there that we're having challenges and you can start to action that type of feedback and goal. So your goal is very simply with these suppliers or sorry, these stakeholders to have better engagement of your suppliers to improve your, your candidate volume, candidate right. quality, et cetera. Yeah. So just All try right. to use, yeah. You got a lot of good stuff in there. You have a lot of good stuff. So let me, I'm gonna see if I can to reiterate some of the things that you said to the listeners. Yeah. Watching. A lot of it is about trying to figure out success, right? And typically, typically if you are dating someone and you only see them once a year, you probably aren't dating someone. Right. <laughs> So as silly and as it's going to take time, but the idea of, yes, the time you spend, the time you give is one of the most important things you can give to a person, a team and a goal. So that is something that should be the role. How are you spending time with your manager, your stakeholders, your suppliers, your MSP? Then I also heard you say, right. And this could be different across all programs and people, right? How are you defining success or pain? right? How do you define a complaint? How are you tracking a complaint? How are you figuring out what's a trend of the same, knowing that it's largely going to be uh, conversational, right? It's not going to be, you're not setting the, I did not hear you say you're setting a survey with discrete attributes that someone can do that you can put into a dashboard. So hearing, hearing that time is need to be spent and time needs to be measured, especially I would say the measurement of how many people decline or don't show up to you. Right. That, big glaring thing. Then it becomes like the, how are you defining what this is? Let's talk about how you're doing this. Cause I think a lot of people will say that makes sense. Is there technology? Am I using chat GPT? This be done in the VMS. So let's get into the, how do we have about 10 minutes left? What yeah. technology are you using to actually help you do this? Oh, great segue because it's easy for me to get focused on a lot of the sort of granular details, but ultimately you have to be able to track and measure relationships you can't just do it on a pad of paper, although I'm guilty of transcribing notes from a paper pad into to SharePoint, which is the tool that I use. So the tools, I think there are many out there that we've historically used to input data to, to track relationships on the sales and recruiting side. It's a CRM, which I think is probably one of the most appropriate types of tools for this exercise. So you have a level up advantage if you're a supplier or a recruiter, first of all. But when it comes to a program, role like mine or in an MSP function, or even as a manager, we have the VMS, which it's great at managing vendors and getting vendors paid and tracking worker headcount, some of these types of details. But arguably, I haven't seen a lot of flexibility in any VMS platform quite yet. I know there's some great conversations with some of our industry leaders about making progress towards this goal of starting to have a bit more customization to the types of things that we're measuring or the types of information that we're gathering. But I've historically been using a combination of Teams and SharePoint, Power BI, and Power Apps, those kind of four Office 365 tools to build custom forms to intake my notes. And it captures what I need to in a consistent format so I can utilize Power BI to serve up that data from a SharePoint list in the form of a dashboard which automatically refreshes. And so 
since we're on a podcast and you can't necessarily see something that I'd share, I won't share it, but visually, what does it look like? It's something where I have essentially four main criteria for any given relationship. My first is the overall disposition. And it's, it's very simple. It's either green. That's a favorable disposition. Yellow. They haven't interacted quite enough. It's neutral or red. We've done something to damage this relationship that we need to address. And so that's the highest level is just their net disposition. If you will, you can say net promoter score. I don't have them score using a number system. I just simplify it even beyond that. But then the next pieces are around how many meetings am I having relative to the volume of business that I'm doing with them. And so if there's 40% of the spend in our program, that's technology related, I should be meeting with technology stakeholders 40% of the time. I should be meeting with suppliers that service that part of the organization 40% of the time. To what extent are the number of meetings aligned? That's another simple, you know, green, yellow, red type of indicator. The other couple of components that I have on that dashboard are the goals themselves. So what are the goals that they have? And then based on our most recent meeting, are we approaching, achieving, and attaining those goals? Or are we still at a point where we really haven't made progress? And again, I have that sort of coded by green and yellow and red to make it easy. And the final thing that I'm looking at kind of related to the goal setting as well, but it's around capabilities, alignment, standing on the supplier side from a relationship perspective. Are there capabilities that we haven't been utilizing from the supplier? Do we have a full picture of what the relationship could be like? That's a really important factor because very reactively and then don't have necessarily the time or energy to invest and say, what else do you guys do for your clients? And what are the things that you guys are the best at and make sure that we're incorporating those types of services into the program. So hopefully that's a little brief overview of it, but I'm using SharePoint Power BI to have a dashboard and track those meetings, the quality of the health with relatively simple system and track those goals. And of course you can drill in and see notes from those kind of like a mini CRM, right? But you can integrate it with teams so you can surface all that content in teams, which I really like. I think it's really helpful when your manager is like asking you a question about progress with a specific business area and you can provide them a snapshot and say, yeah, well, I've met with transmission, you know, 35 times in the last quarter. And these are the folks that I've met with. And this is what we've discussed. It sounds like this is what their goals are. And that's how it ties into, you know, bigger picture strategy that we're trying to do. So no, I think that's great. And I mean, the one thing I want the listeners to be able to hear is knowing that most people are on 0365 or Google, right? Is these are tools that you likely are going to have today, right? Likely don't cost anything. These are things that you are actually able to use. And I, Michael has been kind enough to say that if you are interested in how he's doing it, ping him on LinkedIn. He's happy to to kind of jump on and show like what works for him, knowing that yours will probably be a little bit different, but he can actually show you how you kind of connect all those tools. We were we were laughing about Microsoft and we're saying we all know there's pros and cons to all of them, but their throughput of how their tools can actually work together is one of the pros. And so like this is something you have at your hand and fingertips. Like don't don't miss that on an opportunity. We're about out of time, but one of the things, and we've covered a lot, right? Between like where people have been, where we want them to go, why, what's important. But if you think about folks who will likely be inspired by what you're sharing about looking at things in a different way, what's some advice you would give to your colleagues? How do they get started on the thought processes of looking at relationship health differently? Like, where do you want to really land with them before we go? Yeah, I think great final note that something I've become also very passionate about is understanding the role of habits in our life. 
And the most practical application and starting point, I would say, is a journal. It's very mundane. But if you start tracking what you're doing professionally on a daily or weekly basis, and by tracking, I mean writing down in a journal, I physically write, which is, hey, maybe it's a little old school. So I'm not able to put this in a dashboard, but I enjoy the experience. So I would say one of the most important pieces of journaling is it's you're collecting your thoughts, you're reflecting back on what you've done over a given period of time. And then the next step is after you're reflecting on what you've done, you're starting to assess, well, where am I at? Where are these relationships at? And so what I would encourage you to do is take a, an honest look at any given day at work and start to identify what are your habits? What are the things that you're doing? Are they serving these types of goals? Are they serving deepening and strengthening of relationships? Or are they things that are very tactical in nature that are keeping you away from adding strategic value to the people that you're working with? And if you find yourself more in the latter, start finding ways to automate, find other teams that can help you and support those types of functions. So you can be much more intentional about building habits that start to promote stronger relationships. So consistent follow-up, one of the habits that I put on my calendar on Monday mornings is an hour that's blocked out to set meetings. It's a fundamental part of my strategy. So I need to set meetings with suppliers and stakeholders, make sure that I have the right meetings on the calendar for my MSP partners. And it sounds relatively simple because it is. And so hopefully that's encouraging to you as the listeners that this isn't something that's, it certainly isn't something that happens in a day, a week or a month. It's something that is a progression. And that's what I personally define success as the progressive realization of an ideal. And that's really what I'm trying to communicate here is that it's not that hard to start making positive progress and to start getting really quick results. And ultimately, if you take this approach with your manager or with people in your family, even whatever, you're going to start to see really fast, like quick results, positive feedback. I can say that from the past several years that I've been trying to apply this. So hopefully that's a a bit of insight and to Erica's point, very interested in and always networking with folks and, and trying to help people grow and advance and find opportunities. So I think that's a, a good place to, to wrap it up. That's perfect. No, I was going to say you ended up such a, exactly right. Like the goal is to educate, change, progress, and mature, right? Yeah. We get yeah. better at one thing. Now we start to look and we push forward. So I, again, thank you so much for this. This has been a great conversation. I think this land incredibly well with the listeners. I appreciate the time that you spent with us. And we hope we get to do this again soon. Well, thanks so much for having me. Much appreciated. And uh, yeah, well, I'm sure be having another one of these. Maybe I'll have you on our podcast. Excel Energy will start one. Who knows? We like it. We like it. All right. Thanks all the listeners. Really appreciate it. We'll see you next time.